0: So today we are going to talk about a weighty topic, um, something that the Bible repeats over and over uh, in the Old Testament, and it's also continued in the New Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's described as the fear of the Lord. In the New Testament, um, it also is described as fear God, fear uh, God. For reverence, for reverence God, be in awe of God. And it's, it's one that many people have a problem with. Uh, and maybe ev- many Christians even struggle with what does it look like to have this in a healthy way as a Christian when there are scriptures that tell us that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and how do we make sense of that? So we're gonna wrestle a little bit with that from the lips of Jesus. The words that he himself said in Luke chapter 12, 1 through 12. In the context here, Jesus was addressing Pharisees and lawyers, religious scribes, and, or, or lawyers. Um, and he gave some of the harshest words towards them than he gave towards anybody else. Matthew 23 has an account of Jesus' indictment on the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says some really strong stuff. Some, some stuff that maybe some might even be surprised at, that's in the New Testament. That, that, that these words actually came out of the mouth of Jesus who is full of grace and truth. And in Luke chapter 11, we have an account of Jesus' indictment of the scribes and pharisees last week we looked at the parable of the tax collector and the sinner and jesus confronted the self-righteousness that the pharisees had that they walked in he told the parable to those who trusted in themselves and looked down upon others and despised others looked on others with contempt and he and he told the, the the parable of the this tax collector who went away justified. And throughout Jesus's ministry, there's this contrast. There's these encounters that Jesus has both with the religious community, who thinks that they're good and they got it and they can make earn their way to heaven or they're they're good with God based on their performance. And then there's this broken, downcast, outcast community of sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and people. Who've been broken by the world and broken by their sin, and they know they need help. And Jesus gravitates towards them the poor, the brokenhearted, the afflicted. And He gives grace to them. God gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. And so we see Jesus walking in these characteristics as people encounter Him. He resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble, to those who recognize their need for him. So on the heels of Jesus unleashing some heavy indictments to the scribes and the Pharisees, we have these words continued in Luke chapter 12. Sometimes the the chapter divisions in the Bible are helpful. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they they cause us to separate the story in our minds. Um, I think this is one that, that may not be as helpful uh, sometimes when we when we when we look at this, let me pray and we'll we'll open up. Father, as we see and hear these words, authoritative words from Scripture, from from the lips of Jesus, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to see. Teach us to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Deliver us. From hypocrisy and the fear of man. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up. That will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man And the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Here's our big idea this morning. Jesus calls his followers to resist hypocrisy and conquer the fear of man by fearing God instead. And this is needed to be a faithful witness. Jesus calls his followers to resist hypocrisy and conquer the fear of man by fearing God instead. And this is needed to be a faithful witness. In this chapter, starting in verse 1, Jesus gives a a command. He gives three commands we're going to look at here in this passage. And the first one is simply beware. Okay? Now, he said this in other places. Beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. And as Christians, we need to be aware of those things and people who are a threat to our spiritual life. Right? The New Testament has a number of warnings in Scripture. And this was one of them. Jesus just got done saying some of the most difficult things, the harshest things, to these religious leaders. And he said, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He uses the analogy here of leaven. Leaven is was used, most, most of the time in the Bible, it was used as a negative um, metaphor. Uh, a few times it was used as a positive met- metaphor, for, as the kingdom that, that spreads. But most of the time it's used to refer to some kind of evil that spreads and infects and, and others. Now, leaven is something I became a, a little bit, or yeast is something I became a little bit more familiar with. Since 2020, my wife took up bread making. And we we all love it in the family because we get some really yummy sourdough bread. And so it's amazing when she just takes a little teaspoon of that yeast and mixes it, it causes the the dough to just expand you know we wake up in the morning it's like coming out of the container right and then and then we get she bakes it she shapes it and bakes it and does her thing and we get some yummy bread my my daughter my 10 year old daughter is also taking to this practice and she makes her own bread before school and she cuts her own slices and makes her sandwiches before school and i love it i get to enjoy some of that myself that's a very positive thing i'm thankful that that yeast can cause the bread to spread. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the Jewish people enjoyed bread. It's a, that was a staple in, in, a, in a meal. And they would eat bread that had um, leaven in it. But there was a time of year that they didn't. In the springtime, they were commanded by God to celebrate the Passover. And a part of celebrating the Passover, they would get rid of all the leaven in the house. okay, And they would eat unleavened bread. They would remember the exodus when God delivered the Israelites out of, out of Egypt. When they were slaves in Egypt. And there's so many details involved that, that point the Israelites to the redemption that they experienced. And how they were to remember that and reflect upon that. And here Jesus is using leaven as a, as a metaphor of hypocrisy hypocrisy in the lives of the Pharisees that could infect others into uh, performing in the same way. In chapter 11, Jesus indicted the Pharisees for a number of things. He said that they are inside, they are full of greed and wickedness. They clean the outside of the cup, but the inside was dirty. I don't know about you, but in our house everyone has participates in cleaning the dishes. And except our five year old. And and if if I or one of us were to take those dishes and just scrub the outside if our if our uh, uh dishwasher wasn't working, and if I just scrubbed the outside and I left coffee residue or milk residue or juice residue and put it in the put it in the counter or put it in the, the uh the drawer. It probably wouldn't be that big of a deal to the kids, but to mom and dad, that'd be a big deal, right? Uh, that's not what you do. You clean the inside. That's the most important. If you're using a vessel, the most important is the inside. And God is more focused on the inside of us than the externals and how we look and appear to people. And so the Pharisees were guilty of spending so much time of fixing up the outside With the motives to be seen by people and praised by people and perceived by people being better than they really were religiously and morally. And this was a problem. This was a problem to their faith. It corrupted their faith. It affected their faith. Jesus said in John chapter 5, I believe, he said, how can you believe uh, when, when you receive praise from men? You see, the Pharisees were described as those who loved the praises of men rather than the praise and the glory of God. And so they cleaned the outside of the cup. They were a hindrance to others coming to the faith. They hindered others by their example and by their teaching. Jesus indicted them as those who would would tithe, but they would neglect the weightier matters of the law, namely in Luke, it's justice and the love of God. And Jesus said, "These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others." They were so focused on the small, and they and they had commands that went ex- that were beyond the Bible. They were so focused on keeping the tradition and those extra commands that they had developed that they missed the whole point of justice. And the love of God, of what Jesus is saying, the law points us to, right? Love. In another place, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus indicted the Pharisees because they loved the best seats in the synagogues and the greeting, uh, greetings in the in the marketplaces. He described them as unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Aren't you glad you came to church today? To hear about this, these are some of the harshest words that our loving Lord Jesus gave to people, and they were religious. Commu- they were a part of the religious community. They were considered the insiders, the examples. And and he made a statement in Matthew chapter five: Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Like whoa. What do you mean? i got to outperform these guys? Who can do that? No, that's not what he was saying. Their righteousness was external, not internal. They were trusting in themselves as, as being righteous rather than trusting as a, their father Abraham believing God and having righteousness accounted to them, Genesis 15. So let's talk a little bit about hypocrisy because I know none of us, including myself, are beyond the temptation or the tendency to towards hypocrisy. Okay? Hypocrisy, I pulled out one of my wife's books on bread making and that has some spiritual truths here and I found this quote insightful by Abigail Dodds. It says, "Individuals are responsible for their own hypocrisy, but hip- hypocrisy thrives in the dim light of tribalism. It needs friends To keep repeating the lies as though they were truth. It finds comfort in the presence of others who affirm their false view of reality. This was the particular problem of the Pharisees. They were an entire group of hypocrites because they affirmed each other's false ideas. This sort of group blindness can happen to anyone. And so I want to start with this, just acknowledging this as a problem. Acknowledging the tendency that we all have as human beings to want to be liked and to do things to be liked by people rather than to be rejected by people. Nobody wants to be rejected, right? We we want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We want to have good, healthy relationships. And hypocrisy is... It eats away at our spiritual life and eats away at our relationships. The Holman Bible Dictionary describes hypocrisy as the pretense pretense to being what one really is not. Especially the pretense of being a better person than one really is. This word is used six times in the New Testament. And it is a word, the Greek word is based, the original meaning... ...is to give an answer. A hypocrite in classical Greek... ...could be an interpreter of dreams... ...an orator, a reciter of poetry... ...or an actor. Originally it was a neutral term. Hypocrite gained a negative connotation... ...of pretense and duplicity... ...or insincerity. And so hypocrisy is a problem. Hypocrisy is also futile... ...because all will be revealed. You see... Jesus said in verse 2 that nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So it's futile to try to pretend to be somebody we're not or pretend to be better than we really are. And this requires humility. Humility. This requires us looking to God for righteousness, to Christ for righteousness, rather than trying to conjure up our own righteousness, a basis by which we're accepted. See, we're accepted by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. And there's so much freedom when you and I can let down the mask, let down the walls, let down the barriers... And be known by God and known by one another and loved and accepted as we are. There's freedom in that. We're made to live like that. And that's what First John says we are to live like. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all, we should be diligent to let the light sh- shine in our lives. The light of God's truth. The light of purity and holiness. And when our lives don't measure up, we should aim to not respond like Adam and Eve did. Covering themselves up with their own fig leaves. Trying to cover up their shame and nakedness with their own means. God has a covering for you and I. And it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That he has provided for us. And when we understand the gospel of grace. When we get the truth of the gospel right. The teachings of Jesus right. We believe them. Instead of running away from God in our brokenness. In our failures. and Running away from community in our brokenness. We'll run towards God. We'll run towards community. And so hypocrisy is futile. And hypocrisy is... Is infectious, and we're told First Peter. Peter told uh, the, the the Christians that he wrote to. He said, "Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy and all slander." Now, by the way, I don't know if you, if you've read the book of Galatians any time recently, but the Apostle Paul confronted Peter for walking in some hypocrisy. Okay, we're talking about an apostle here, a leader that needed to be confronted. You see, we all have a tendency towards this, to appear one way than we really are. Sir Walter Scott said this, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. We're made to live in the light. We're made to live in the truth. And this requires us pursuing sincerity. Sincerity. God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. When Paul was addressing the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he uses this analogy of leaven. And he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so here's here's a key for us if we're going to weed out hypocrisy, the leaven of hypocrisy in our lives, resist it, put it away, we need to pursue sincerity. We need to speak words that are true from the heart in talking to God and talking to one another. And we need to listen to words that are true. We need people who will speak the truth and love to us, not flatter us and tell us only what we want to hear. We need to hear things that will cut us sometimes. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now, one of the problems. That was a problem. One of the problems is our is that those who are who walk in habitual hypocrisy are often self deceived they they put on a front and they act in such a way and at some point they start believing the very front that they've been putting on and that's a dangerous slippery slope, perhaps that was the case with with many of the Pharisees and so Paul calls the, the Corinthians here to celebrate the feast with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus was teaching his disciples to live in sincerity and in truth. Um, as I was thinking about this and studying that word, the Greek word for sincerity, I was reminded of those who sell things on Facebook Marketplace and some of those means. Um, they sell used stuff. And, and I don't know if you've ever bought stuff off of some of those sites before. But sometimes some folks will take a picture of one angle of that item that they're trying to sell, the good side. And you show up and there's a the whole nother side to that thing that's actually broken. That's deceit. That, that is not being straightforward with somebody. That's not, that's not being a person of integrity. Or, or they may put a tag on uh, as one, one uh, thing of clothing, and it's actually something else. And so that's deceit. In the, old, in the ancient world, merchants would, would do this with uh, – they would put pottery in, in dim-lit rooms and so that the cracks or the flaws in, in the piece – now, this probably happens today in some places – won't be as, as clearly seen, right? So that's, that's, that's not being straightforward. And so Paul and Jesus call the people of God to live lives of sincerity and truth where we are known and we can be honest with where we're at with God because there is a provision for our sins to be taken care of. Christ is our Passover lamb. Now I've taken a bit of a a bunny trail, rabbit trail here. Let's bring it back to where we're at this morning. Luke 12. And I want to spend a a decent amount of time on this because I see the connection between hypocrisy and the fear of man. You see, the fear of man is something that the Bible describes as a snare. It's a trap. And many people have given into it in their lives. The quality of their life has has been diminished because they've been enslaved and ensnared by the opinions of people and not free to be who God's called them to be. And when when we're walking in the fear of man, we can either hide, just not be around people, or we can be around people and and act like hypocrites, present ourselves as better than we really are, or we can be courageous and humble and sincere and let down those barriers. And let down when we're struggling, when when we have a a sin struggle, when we have an issue in our life that we need help in, we can let our brothers and sisters know we can, one, first of all, talk to God about it. This starts with talking to God, right? Addressing these, these matters with God, these matters of the heart with God. But Jesus says, don't fear man. Don't fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Now, let me ask you, is this something that you've struggled with? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to speak up. Sometimes we call this, as, as young people, we call it peer pressure, right? Uh, or as we, actually, let me quote here Ed Welch on his book, when when people are big and God is small, he addresses this issue of the fear of man. And this is what he says, the fear of man is no respecter of persons. It might be called codependency by adults, Peer pressure with teens and shyness with children. But whatever it is called, it all betrays the same idolatrous heart. Fear of man is always part of a triad that includes unbelief and disobedience. The fear of man is the sinful exaggeration of a normal experience. So this is something we want to push back on. Hypocrisy and the fear of man. Jesus says, beware of hypocrisy, do not fear those who can kill the body. Ed Welch goes on and he explains why is it that we fear people? Why is it that we're afraid of people? We fear man because they expose and humiliate us. People will see me. We fear man because they reject and ridicule or despise us. People will reject me. We fear man because they can attack us, oppress or threaten us. People will hurt me and jesus says don't fear them yes they can kill the body but that's all that they can do yes they can say mean things and reject you humiliate you physically or emotionally hurt you but jesus and jesus gives us the key to overcome this he explains a little bit more About the fear of man, he says, those living under the fear of man see people as bigger, that is more powerful and significant than God. And out of of that fear, out of the fear that creates in us, we give other people the power and the right to tell us what to feel, think, and do. And so may God help us overcome this snare that's called the fear of man. May God help us recognize what it is. I think... It was helpful in reading some of the uh, his book here on this. Helpful in how he just calls out what we call codependency, peer pressure, and shyness is the biblical term fear of man, and it will hinder us from doing the will of God. And so we got to push back on it. God has not given us a spirit of fear, church, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And so, what's the solution? The solution Jesus gives it to us here in verse 5. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after has killed has the authority to cast in the hell. Yet I tell you fear him. And so here's how we conquer the fear of man. It's having a healthy fear of God. God is in charge. God is in the almighty now many people when they see passages like this they want to be quick to say well he means reverence he means all here now that's also a way to describe the fear of the lord in the old and new testament but the translators they don't seem to use that the the english those who translate the bible into english they choose to use the word fear and i think rightfully so because it's a strong word fear the lord fear god and Jesus tells us why. He has the ability to put a person in hell. And that's sobering. Now, that's not popular to talk about. I know that may make some people feel uncomfortable. And as I've been looking at this text here uh, this week, I've just been reminded that, you know, I probably haven't talked about this enough, honestly. When I look at Jesus and his, how many times he mentions this place we call hell... This place of eternal punishment. He probably mentions it a lot more times than most preachers do today including myself. And so this is a reality that I think we we all need to embrace whether we feel comfortable with it or not. It's a biblical teaching that Jesus taught and he came to save us from this place of torment. He came to rescue us from this place of torment. By the way. In the Old Testament in a few different times when the Bible speaks about the fear of the Lord there's a connection with hope and mercy. Behold the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. Psalm 33:18. Psalm 147:11 the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. Right. And so there's there's a connection there between this man or woman who fears the Lord and hopes in God's mercy. Now, it's also the fear of the Lord is also a description of of a life that that worships God, that reverently worships God. In the Old Testament it's described as a, a lifestyle of worship. One who fears the Lord, a woman who fears the Lord, a man who fears the Lord. And it's often given in the scripture, it's, it's often uh, used as a motivator to live a godly life, to make decisions that would honor God. I've described uh, the fear of the Lord as, as living in the light of uh, the awareness that God is, is in every place, that his eyes are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. God sees everything and nothing is hidden from him. When Joseph was tempted with Potiphar's wife, And said, How can I do this evil thing and sin against God? He was fearing God in that moment. And so we want to be a people who embrace the biblical teaching of the fear of the Lord. Now, I think it's also interesting to highlight what Jesus says next, a couple verses later. He says, Fear not. So he says, Fear God. But then he says, Fear not. Well, which is it? Look at what he says in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. This is beautiful. So here in the, same, in the same section, Jesus is saying, fear God. This is the, kind of, the only kind of fear we're called to have in the scripture is the fear of the Lord. And it will help us counter the, the anxieties and the unhealthy fears that hinder us in this life. But here he says, fear not, don't fear. And, and, and specifically, he, he has already said, don't fear people, right? And don't fear what they can do to you. Don't fear death. Hebrews 2:14 and 15 tells us that Jesus came to deliver us from the bondage that comes from the fear of death that people have lived in and have been subject to their entire life. Jesus wants to deliver his people from the fear of death, the fear of man, and the fear of evil. Psalm 23: "I will though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil." And I have found that the most effective way to address my fears is not to ignore them and just act like they're not there. The most effective way to address my fears is not to pretend that hell is not there. The most effective way to address our fears is to face them and to see them for what they really are and to see God for who He really is and what He says about me about himself, about this world. And the Bible tells us he's in charge. The Bible tells us every person is going to stand before the Almighty and give an account for their lives. The Bible tells us that God is going to bring justice to those who have harmed and oppressed others, to those who've lived hypocritical lives, who've acted... And not genuinely follow Jesus. He's going to bring justice to those who have been pretenders. To those who have been oppressors. He's He's going to give what they're due. He's a just judge. And he's a loving father. And so this should free us up, church. This should free us up from being captives to the fear of man. When we know that the Almighty is in our corner. That we're in His family. And that when a bully comes around messing with us, we got Dad right there to open the door and say, Hey, you mess with my kid? Right? And Dad will protect us. Dad will defend us. Dad cares about us. Here's a couple of reasons not to fear man. According to Jesus, what he teaches here, God has the power and authority to cast people into hell. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the scripture tells us. God will hold people accountable for their actions. God knows every small detail of birds and even concerning your hair and the lack thereof. God knows the details of your life. And if he knows about the birds and he actually cares about the birds, how much more, Jesus says, does he care about you? And is he going to take care of you? He's going to take care of you. Don't be afraid. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good kingdom. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You're valuable to God. He doesn't want to destroy you and cast you into hell. He sent his son Jesus To come into this world to live a perfect life and experience the worst injustice ever. And he suffered and he died upon a cross, crucified by the Romans and the Jews. And he he went to the grave for three days and rose from the dead so that you and I can live forever with him and have our sins forgiven. And we can walk in the freedom, the forgiveness and the freedom that Christ alone gives through faith. And so I have seen in my own life that fearing God just helps me overcome all these other fears that I have to fight. And when I don't fear God, I become subject to being bullied by all the other fears in this life. I become subject to anxiety, become subject to people pleasing, become subject to fretting and being irritable because I'm anxious inside rather than fearing God alone and hoping in his mercy, trusting in him. As I was thinking about this concept here of the fear of the Lord, I was reminded of how C.S. Lewis described it in his book or movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is the king. He's in charge. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And he says, go make disciples. Go preach the gospel in all nations because he has that high authority and he says go and and as we go one of the biggest barriers that that people face that christians face and and carrying out the great commission and being witnesses all over the world is the fear of man it's the most common barrier if you don't if you don't think fear of man is a struggle for you think about how how Think about evangelism and what that looks like looks like in your life or doesn't look like in your life. Because evangelism is stifled by the fear of man. And to be faithful witnesses, to carry out making disciples and spreading the gospel and, and meeting people that you don't know and, and introducing yourself to strangers and being available to have conversations with people that may be a little intimidating to you, it takes... Addressing that fear, that intimidation. But when we see God for who he is and what he says about us, it should let us perceive with confidence. And so here in, in this context, Jesus talks about mission. Right? When, in, when, when he's talking about the fear of man and the fear of God, he, he talks about acknowledging those who acknowledge him will be acknowledged by him. Now let me just talk a little bit about the two fears because I know that some here may struggle with the idea of the fear of God or, or what, what, what could be perceived as an unhealthy fear. Because there are also scriptures in the New Testament that teach us God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. There is no love in fear and perfect love casts out fear. Um, Romans 8, for you have not been given a spirit of bondage, again, the fear, but you've been given a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And so we got passages like that, and we got passages like this. I don't think Paul and Jesus were teaching two different things. Paul does talk about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's plenty of other New Testament verses that we could look through and survey that would be refreshing to each of us this morning and insightful but let me let me just share a description of these two different fears because i've had to wrestle with this because i've seen christians who want to just completely downplay the the aspect of fear the fear of the lord and then i've seen christians who talk about fearing god in a way that makes you feel like you're on probation with god if you're a christian (laughs) <laughs> on, you might make it in but you better you better not you got that ankle bracelet on you take one step you're out right you're going to jail or hell forever now hell should influence our fear of god so here's here's a way that i here's some some quotes that i have found helpful um from a couple some puritans some some old school theologians godly men who Describe these two fears that we are to have and that we're not to have. One is a forbidden fear. Now we're, we're also by the way, we're told in the scripture more than any other command to fear not, right? Because that's our tendency is to fear harm, fear man, fear, evil, fear not. Uh, I've, I've heard that there are roughly 366 references to fear not. That's one for every day of the year for us. Fear not. Don't fear people, don't fear evil, don't fear death, don't fear rejection. There's a forbidden fear and there's a fear commanded. Jesus commands this, it's imperative. There's a bondage fear and there's a reverential fear. There's a filial fear and a servile fear. There is an idolatrous fear and a worshipful fear. There's fear, I love this, Spurgeon says this, fear that draws men further from God versus fear that drives men toward God. What kind of fear do you have, do you walk with? Have you been subject to these other ones? I know I have. And when I discern it, when I recognize that this is not the kind of fear that God wants me to walk in, it needs to be addressed with biblical truth. Where am I believing a lie about God or myself? But some of us have become very comfortable with God and with Jesus, and He becomes more like our homeboy, and we become a little too familiar and not reverent enough towards the Lord. And so, we want to cultivate both. John Newton said it well in his book, amazing, or his song, "Amazing Grace." Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believe. So in Jeremiah, God says, speaking of the new covenant, He says, I will put the fear of Me in my people, in them, and they will not depart from Me. The fear of the Lord, this healthy fear of God, is something that God graciously gives us that we're to cultivate. And it's a means that God uses to motivate us, and it's a keeping um, element of grace. And so let's move on here with this last little section in connection to being a faithful witness. The fear of man will hinder us and lead us to do even what Peter did initially when, G- when Jesus was being crucified he was asked by a, a, a slave girl, Aren't you one of the disciples? And man, Peter, strong, boisterous, go get her, Peter, right? He denied Jesus three times. Jesus wasn't surprised by it. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. He, he told him that he would deny him. And Peter wept bitterly after that. But he, he, writes, he says these things. He says, I tell you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now, Peter didn't go on denying Jesus. He did in that one moment of time. But church history tells us that he ended up being crucified upside down for Jesus' sake. He was martyred for the sake of following Jesus. Jesus, again, I I love, I love Peter uh, because we, we get, and I love that the Bible doesn't hold back the bloopers of the leaders uh, that we see in scripture, which points to the authenticity of the message. But we see Peter met with grace. We see Peter experience grace. Peter wrote, by the way, fear God and honor the King, respect all people. He wrote that. Paul tells us about the fear of the Lord. John, beloved John, writes writes of, in, in Revelation uh, things that should cause us to have this healthy fear of God. And so let's move on here. Um, last little section here about Jesus makes this statement about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, will not be forgive, forgiven. This is uh, described as the unpartable sin. And I've met people who were just terrified that they had committed this sin. have I, Because they said something about the Holy Spirit and they later on regretted it. Most theologians, is, as I read this, explain what this is. And they explain it as resisting the Holy Spirit perpetually ongoing. Also described in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen said of the religious leaders who were stoning him, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You stiff-necked. Right? And so this is a very highly debated uh, passage. I'm not intending to try to iron it all out here today, but let me just mention that about that. And Because and, Jesus also mentions in verse 11 that the Holy Spirit will help his followers be faithful witnesses in what they should say. As they're being witnesses, as they're spreading the gospel, as they're facing the, the intimidation that would come as they would spread the gospel. Uh, he, he says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Here's some good news for us, church. We have a helper. And following Jesus includes us get receiving the third person of the Trinity to live inside of us, to help us, to empower us to be witnesses, to help us in our prayer life, to guide us into the truth, to convict us of sin. To teach us to relate to God as Father, to cry out, Abba Father. And, and the list goes on and on to comfort us. He is there to help us. And in the specific this specific situation, when you are being persecuted for your faith because you are a witness, and people bring you to prosecute you. Don't don't be anxious about what to say. There will be a present grace available by the work of the spirit and he will give you the words to say I am a strong believer in the the, the future in future grace. There are things when we let our minds just wander and we think about "Well, what happens if if I get in this situation. And, 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 and my family gets in this situation. We can just go on thinking, and, and news media can help us imagine those things if we want a doom scroll there. What happens if I get in this or that? What am I going to do? I believe that there will be a f- future grace, a grace that we experience when we get there to the future. Now, we're told don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough trouble today that you got to focus on and take care of, and you can't change anything by worrying about it, Right? There will be a grace available when you get in those situations that are difficult, that you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say. The Spirit is going to help you. So don't lean on your own own understanding. Now, I I should say too, this doesn't encourage uh, uh, lack of planning and, and preparation, Uh, But this does encourage a dependence upon the spirit and, and addressing those fears and anxieties in our hearts. And so let me close with a couple points of application here. First, examine your heart's motives and pursue sincerity and honesty and integrity. God forbid that we should be those who are just so busy going about doing the religious activities that we don't slow down enough to reflect on where we are in our hearts. The religious leaders were those who fasted, prayed, and they gave to be seen by people, to impress people. And Jesus says they have their reward. They've already gotten their reward. Jesus says when you do those things... Do it go, go to, in the secret place and do it to be seen by the Father and He will reward you openly. But if what we're doing is to be seen by others so we can get a pat on the back from others, then we're going to get our reward there. and that's just unhealthy. And that enslaves us to, to, to their opinions. even with our spouses, and Ed Welch in his book talks about this, even with our spouses, you know, there, 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 there's an unhealthy, there's, there's a way we can look to them to meet needs in us uh, that's just unhealthy, where we, we should be looking to God ultimately. So anyways, that's a rabbit trail. Examine your heart's motives and pursue sincerity, honesty, integrity. I like to describe integrity as, as fruit. Uh, when you go into the supermarket and you're looking for some bananas, all right, what, what are you looking for when you buy some bananas? You want to eat them today. What are you looking for? Now, this may vary a little bit based on preference. You're looking for green? Okay. All right. She's going to eat the green ones. Okay. No bruises. Okay. Slightly slightly spotted. You like them brown? All right. He likes them brown. All right. I like my, not really ready, they're, like, Okay. Thank you. All right. So, here, here's my point. God has designed the fruit... To tell us what it's like on the inside by looking on the outside. That's integrity, by the way. When there's a consistency with what we're presenting on the outside, the same as what's on the inside. And so we want to be people of integrity. People who are not trying to look better than we really are. Being honest about where we're at with God and with one another. Being known. Because one day, everything's going to be revealed. Like, why would we hide now? When one day everything's going to be known. And there's just so much freedom. With with having being known and being loved and accepted. And you, we can fight our struggles. Our sinful tendencies when we do that. Next is cultivate a fear of the Lord by reflecting on both the greatness and the goodness of God. He's greater. He is greater. He is more powerful than anyone. And he is good. He cares about us. More than the sparrows were valuable to him he knows every detail of our life he knows what we need even before we ask him and lastly don't be ashamed of jesus but boldly acknowledge him before people don't be ashamed of him when christianity and where christianity is not popular and there's pressure put on those who are professors of jesus there is a greater temptation to deny Him and not acknowledge Him. And the early church experienced that temptation. They experienced that struggle. As Americans, we we may not have experienced that as much. Some of us may have, but we want to push back on that, and we want to boldly testify that Jesus is Lord, and He is our Lord. He is our Savior. Amen?